the magnitude of what God the Father has done to secure our salvation is simply staggering. The Gospel writer Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. The first, I've read this text many times, the first time I ever noticed. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ, the Son of the Father, died for us. Lord God, we have assembled this morning and have sung together the songs of redemption, of salvation, of deliverance, of rescue, amazed that you love us. The immensity of what you have done to rescue us while we were yet sinners is emotionally incomprehensible to us. And so this morning, Lord, we simply ask that you would guide our hearts into a new place of thanksgiving, a new level of loyalty. Father, it is possible that there are some who have entered this room today and have never experienced the salvation love of God the Father through Christ Jesus. We would ask that salvation would come to this house today. Our Father, there are others who have grown cold, have become complacent or used to what you've done and need a fresh awakening to the sheer magnitude of your love for us. There are others, Father, who simply will benefit from the equipping of our hearts and our minds to carry the gospel message wherever you take us. So, Lord, you know each heart. We commit this time to you. We ask that your word might come alive in our lives. We ask, Lord, that we would be truly devoted and loyal people of God for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to begin a series that will carry us a little bit into the summer on the Bible, a story of God and us selected, particularly selected sections of the scripture that relate to the gospel, that relate to our salvation. I felt that it would be a good time for us to have a refresher, to acknowledge the gospel, to understand the gospel, to know who we are, and to never take for granted that, that we're fully aware of who we are or that people who come and worship with us necessarily know the Lord Jesus Christ or that we are equipped enough to be confident to carry the gospel message. Because the Bible is a book that is filled with demonstrations of God's love for us. Illustration upon illustration tells us of the great love that he has for us. And today we want to look specifically at God's plan for, for you to be delivered from death 
to life. Under a question, what must I do to be saved? Why do I need to be saved? Why do I need to be rescued, delivered? From what? In particular, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why was it required? Why the staggering cost of Calvary? How do we explain that? In a couple of words, we explain it this way, because death reigns. Why do people need to be rescued? Why do we need to be delivered? Why do we need to be saved? Because death reigns. I want to look at five questions this morning as they relate to God's plan of salvation, God's plan to to deliver us from death to life. But before people will embrace the search for life, they need to be convinced, we need to be convinced that uh, we are dead. So the question is, how do we get dead? Simply put, the Word of God teaches us from the beginning and right through to the Gospels and right through to the Epistles that we became corruptible. You became corruptible. I became corruptible. Paul writes it this way in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Once Adam and Eve sinned against God, once they became disloyal to God, as was promised, as was stated to them, they died. They died spiritually. And from then on, every human being that comes into life is born spiritually dead and lacks the immunity, the spiritual immunity to sinfulness, to self, to Satan. And so are fall as... uh, as dupes to the uh, work of the evil one. And so it says in this text that death came through sin, and then in this way death came to all people because all sinned. You've sinned, I've sinned. We sin. I want to point out the number of times the word death or die or, or dead is going to appear in a couple of texts that I want to share with you. So what happened? What, what happened to Adam and Eve born in this or, or, or created in this pristine garden? What happened to, that they became dead simple reality is that they preferred the gifts and the blessings and the benefits and creation over the creator. It says in Genesis that God had said to them, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The test was laid down, put before them. Will you be loyal and devoted to me above everything else? That was the question that God posed to them in that garden. They had everything that they needed and more, more than they could have imagined. And God put before them that one test. Will you trust me? Will you follow me? Will you obey me? Will I matter more than anything else in your life? Or do you like me just because of the gifts and the benefits and the blessings And we all know what happened when the woman saw the gifts and the blessings and the benefits. She saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She made a decision on that moment to pass on God and choose the things he had made. 
She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And they committed themselves on that day to a different life than God had planned for them. And they planned on receiving a different paycheck. Preferring the wages of sin, mankind was sentenced to death. That's the story of our world. That's the story of your life. As for you, Paul writes, Ephesians 2, 1, you were dead in tra- your transgression and sins. For the wages of sin is death. Rather than the gifts of God, they chose the wages of sin. And so it has been throughout humanity. But the purpose of our time together this morning is is to answer the question of what God is willing to do for you and for me. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22 or however you access God's word. You see, many years after Adam and Eve had sinned, God spoke to a man named Abraham who had a wife by the name of Sarah. And God promised Abraham and Sarah, who were childless, that they would have a son. Because he promised them that they would be, their, their offspring would be as numerous as the sands on the seashore and the stars in the sky. That was when Abraham was 75 years old. 25 years later, he still did not have a child. When he was 100 and Sarah was 98, God provided them a child, the child of promise, the the child that would be the necessary child to fulfill the promise of offspring that would be as numerous as the sands of the seashore and as the stars of the sky. And we pick up the text in Genesis chapter 22 many years after. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, And go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. 
When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And I'm sure that arrangement took a long, long time. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood, and then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. If you were to chase through the scriptures in Psalm 24, 3, Isaiah 2, 3, Zechariah 8, 3, that place is Jerusalem. That place is Calvary. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. This is God's word. What is God willing to do for you? What is God willing to do to rescue you, to deliver you? What is God willing to do? How has he demonstrated his love? 4,000 years ago, God pictured for himself what he was willing to do to deliver you from death to life. That happened on Mount Moriah. 2,000 years later, this is what Jesus said about that event. In John chapter five, or 8, verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. How did Abraham see something that was going to occur 2,000 years later? Jesus is, a refer is referring to this event. It was on that mountain, on that, that stark outcropping of rock, rough, brown, gray, windswept hill that the living God played out for himself what he was willing to do to rescue us from our sinfulness while we were yet sinners. How great is the love of the Father for us. We learn in the scriptures that sin must be paid for by death because it says in the word of God that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And now Abraham is asked the ultimate to take his one and only son and sacrifice him as a sin offering. Unthinkable. I want you to notice a couple of things as God plays out and demonstrates what he is willing to do. 
In verse 2, it says here, take your son. Every parent in here has a full grasp of the magnitude of this request. Take your child. There is nothing in this world more precious to me than my family. Nothing. It's the most extravagant thing. He was being asked to give everything. But more than just his son, it says your one and only son. Unique. In in other words, the the stress here is this unique son. He's the only one of a kind. You aren't going to have another one like him. This This is the only one. Abraham, the stress on this, the uniqueness, the only one. Take him, that one. It's one thing if you have 10, 20 children, I suppose, although they're all precious, some more than others. No, just kidding. Take that unique son, the only one. We're not only talking here about extravagant, we're talking here about expensive. This is the most costly request possible. Take that son. It's emphasized. The reason I say this is emphasized, verse 2, verse 12, verse 16, three times the stress is on the one and only, the unique son. No accident that the writers of the gospel talk about Jesus as the one and only, the unique son. The action of God pictured here, his, through his love, all nations would be blessed. This act of God's love is expansive, benefits everything. Extravagant, expensive, expansive. A father who willingly gave Abraham, as he trudges for those three days, willing to, to give to God everything. A father Willing to give everything. As the knife was about to plunge deep and remove life from Isaac, the second person of the Trinity, the living Christ himself, calls out Abraham. Abraham. Do not harm the boy. On that arid, windswept hill, brown, gray, rough, rocky, the horror of sin was put on display, the terrible price. And by the grace of God, God was willing to offer a substitute. There behind Abraham was a ram caught in the thicket, a substitute. Do we understand that God provided a lamb in Isaac's place, countering 
the great cost of our salvation, the great horror of our salvation. Do we realize that we are Isaac? You are Isaac. I am Isaac. Born Isaac. Born because of our sinfulness to need to die for our sins. And what God has done. As time went on, God continued to provide lambs. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 3, tell the whole community of Israel to take a lamb. It says in verse 7, then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. On that night, same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt for their sinfulness. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. God's plan to deliver Isaac, you and me, from death is a substitute. But let's understand something that all of these were illustrations and demonstrations. The real thing was yet to come. 2,000 years after Abraham and this act of devotion to God on that same arid, dusty, rough, rocky, brown, gray hill, God provided the final lamb called the Lamb of God. On that day on Mount Calvary, the father plunged death deep into his one and only son, and there was no stay of execution. No substitute. Why? Because Jesus the Christ is the substitute. He's our substitute. The final offering, the drama of sin's high price was paid once and for all at Calvary. This is how the... Apostle Paul writes it in Romans chapter 5. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, Adam, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. Is that not a hallelujah? For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. That's the gospel. The willingness of our heavenly Father to give forth his one and only unique son, his perfect sinless son, who would die in our place, the lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world so that we wouldn't have to die. Jesus Christ instead of you and me. That's the gospel message. The simple truth is, the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 4, it says, because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. 
were only the picture, the illustration of the horror of sin until that time that the final sacrificial offering would come. Therefore, it says, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, this is Jesus speaking, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God, to lay down my life. The Father demonstrates his own love in this, that he gave his one and only Son, that while we were yet sinners, Christ might die for us. Sin has lost its hold because the price has been paid. All charges against us have been laid on another, and he has paid the price for us. Now, the tragedy of tragedies is the vast majority of people around us who we work with or even some of our family members who we live with, maybe even somebody in here this morning. The great tragedy is the human idea that I can package up my good works, my charitable offerings, my good behavior, and somehow I can present those to God as a substitute for my sin. When in fact, only the perfect, sinless Son of God was a high enough price to pay for the sins of our lives. Only the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. How can I know that I am saved? It says in the Word of God, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 3.16, a text we all know. For God so loved the world demonstrated the fa- a father who would give his one and only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, his unique son, one of a kind, the only one, that whosoever, what? Believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now what does that believe really look like? Do the demons believe that Jesus died on a cross? Do they? Yes, they do. Do they believe that he was the one and only son? Yes, they do. Do they believe that God so loved the world? Yes, they do. What's the difference between believing it as a fact and embracing it as salvation? That brings us to our fourth question. Why did God test Abraham's faith? There were multiple things going on on that mountain range on that day. As I said to you, one of them was God played out for himself in advance, 2,000 years in advance, what he was going to do at Calvary. And that demonstrates the love of God for us. But the test that Abraham went through was to test Abraham's love for God. This act of salvation, this reality of salvation is a two-way transaction. 
Although salvation is by grace, not works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing we can do that we could earn God's favor. It's by an act of his grace. It's a gift of God through faith. But there are evidences in a person's life that salvation has truly come to your house. As John Piper says, salvation is owned by grace, but salvation is shown by our good works. And so God came calling. You see, Abraham, just like humans down through the ages, was in danger of loving the gifts, the benefits, and the blessings more than the giver, the blesser. How do I know that? Well, when God had promised him a child, Abraham regularly put that whole promise at risk because he wanted the child more than he wanted to obey God. That's how Adam and Eve got us in so much trouble. We've already reviewed that. And the great danger in our lives is no different. There is a danger. I, 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 I've encountered so many believers who say, I, I can't understand why some believers live this way or some so-called believers live that way. I'll tell you why. Because some so-called believers are not believers. They have heard a message of salvation. They have heard an offer of heaven and eternal life, and they've purchased the idea. I like the idea of eternal life. I like the idea of going to heaven when I die. But the issue of salvation is not about eternal life and about going to heaven. That's a benefit of salvation. The issue of salvation is the restoration of a relationship that was severed by sin with God. The reason that God had Abraham trudge up that mountain was to finally convince Abraham of his total devotion and loyalty to God. Do you think God learned anything on that mountain? When God was testing Abraham, he was like, I don't know what Abraham's going to do. I have no idea. I, I hope he's going to pass this test. Do you, you think God was wondering what's going to happen? God knows everything. This test was for Abraham. That's why God says to him, now I know that you fear me because you have not failed to give me your son. You've not, you've not withheld your son from me. And most importantly, Abraham, now you know. Think about the gravity and the magnitude of what Abraham did. He put the promise at risk because God was more important to him than anything, including the promise of ancestors, the measure of the seashores and the skies. That's what faith looks like. That's what true saving faith looks like. 
And sometimes, somewhere in your life, maybe multiple times, God is going to test you to see if you love him more than the things that he gives you. And I recommend you welcome that test, and I'll tell you why. Because the Bible talks about things like working out our own salvation with fear and trembling and all that kind of stuff. It says in the word of God that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, what? You know your Bibles? You don't sound like you do. After that, the judgment. Everyone. And each one of those judgment texts, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, are based upon works. Not your salvation isn't based upon works, but the test of authenticity is demonstrated by your works. Whether you're a believer, you'll be judged upon your works, refer rewards. An unbeliever, judged by works. If you don't believe me, check it out in Revelation chapter 20 by your works. Now, as I said, your works don't save you. Your works of faith demonstrate that you are genuine. I hear a number of Christians say, my Christianity has never cost me anything. I always pause to think. And sometimes I'm willing to say, then you aren't a Christian. You're just hanging around the Christian community. How much the Father has loved us. He tests us so that we know our love for him is genuine and that it's about him, Christ alone. You see, when Jesus was preaching the gospel, he didn't say, hey, come to me and get heaven and eternal life and then go off, off on your own and do whatever you want. That's not how he preached. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's what Abraham did. He denied himself, took up his cross, and followed God to the top of that hill as an act of genuine trust in God. The Apostle Paul said, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Christ is the prize. The relationship with Jesus Christ is our prize. The salvation prize is a restored relationship with the living God. That's my prize. If all else is taken away and I have God, I have everything. That's what the parade up to the top of that mountain was all about. If God takes everything from me, Sarah and Isaac and everything I ever dreamed of, if I still have God, I have it all. That's salvation. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. That's the gospel. 
The gospel is a father in heaven who extravagantly loves you. And by grace saves you through faith. And a saved person who's genuinely saved is totally, completely devoted and loyal to Christ. We were singing about it all morning. What's the king, what were the lyrics, Pastor Steve? The king, he's the king, you know, what, what was that song? Help me out, I know I'm putting you on the spot here. What are the lyrics? Somebody help me out. Huh? The king over all the earth. And we were declaring, we are declaring, weren't we declaring in song? What were we declaring? Huh? We declared him savior, we declared him the king. We declared him king of our lives. That's what this is. That's what it lives like. That's what real salvation is. I, I, just, I just fear in my heart that after all these years in church gatherings, there will be people who've sat and heard the word of God and the offer of salvation and have brushed it off as I've got my thing for heaven because I have an intellectual commitment to the truth about Jesus, but have never surrendered to the substitute for their sinfulness, Christ Jesus himself. And that's the offer that goes out today. Do not miss it, or you miss salvation completely. Our Father, I pray for this gathering of people. I pray for their salvation. Lord, I don't know hearts. You know every heart. I pray, O oh God, that we would understand that the salvation that is offered is an extravagant, costly, expensive offer from God the Father by his grace through faith, believing. And the genuine response of one who has truly received is loyalty and devotion and obedience to Christ as the prize alone. Oh God, may the real thing Reside in all of our hearts for your glory, I pray. Amen. The story of God and us is a story of the amazing grace of God from start to finish. The amazing grace of a God who would love a Middle Eastern couple named Abraham and Sarah and promise them a child. And that child would result ultimately in the blessings of all nations, including us, through the Son of God, by the grace of God. But the full gospel message is this, that God has poured out his love and lavished his love extravagantly upon us by his grace. And those who are genuinely saved by God respond to him in faith, trusting him.
Abraham trudged up that mountain, putting the promise and everything at risk because God alone was the prize. So, those who truly belong to God hear his voice. Let me read one last scripture text to you. Jesus said this, John chapter 5, 24 to 25, very very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And he was referring there to those who were spiritually dead. They will hear the voice of Jesus. So I ask you this morning, do you hear his voice? If you hear his voice, trust him, follow him. If you have never responded to the offer of Jesus Christ, your substitute for your sinfulness, then today's the day of salvation. Respond today. Maybe there's someone here who's been a believer for dozens of years or thought they were a believer, but today has realized, I was just dabbling with the benefits of Jesus, but I really didn't trust in him. Then respond today. I'm going to pray, and some of our pastors will be here at the front. We'd love to talk to you. If God is speaking to your heart today, don't leave here without making sure you have crossed over from death to life. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your grace, for the truth of salvation, for the amazing story that you provided a substitute who has died in our place instead of us that we might have life by trusting in him. Father, I pray that the work of the Holy Spirit would not permit anyone here to leave without salvation. Oh God, would you pour out your grace and salvation upon this place. For your great namesake, I pray, amen.